Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. My guest today is Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall. Jason, great to have you back on the podcast once again. Always fun to be on. And you know what? We're, we're continuing the streak of not talking about oil companies. I'm pretty excited to talk about our, our topic today. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about an industry where there aren't imminent bankruptcies coming down the line. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, with the housing market, before we get into some of uh, the, the players in the industry and some companies that you're interested in, what is the current state of the housing market today in the context of COVID-19? Well, obviously, um, it's it's kind of dealing with a little bit of a dual-pronged attack, right? So first of all, you know, give, you know, rewind back to March, and a lot of home builders had to shut down operations, at least uh, temporarily, while states and local governments kind of circled their wagons and figured things out. And um, at some point, it's, it started to open back up um, in, in most places because housing is a, is a critical need, right? It's an essential service, but it's, it's harder because a lot of these, uh, you know, they're still facing the same, you know, social distancing guidelines and, and things like that. They can make it harder and make it take longer and cost more to build, to build houses. So on one side, you're having a major impact on the supply supply side, right? That's that's been that's been the story for housing for a decade, right? Supply, you know, there's not enough, so it's exacerbating that in the short term. And then on the demand side, right? There's there's also pressure, right? Because a lot, uh, I mean, you got you know, you know what, 20 million Americans out of work right now um, uh, that are technically filed for unemployment, and then you have millions more that are you know gig economy workers that may not qualify for unemployment that are also out of work. Um, so it's kind of a weird, a weird spot, but, um, I, I think there's still a, a very bright future, right? But, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I think one of these, these factors to discuss, you, know, you talk about people being out of work, uh, that's negatively affecting the housing market, but on, on the positive side, there's been this stimulus, uh, uh, from, from central banks that has really pushed down interest rates to, to what extent is that affecting oh, the market and affecting the ability of people to pay well that's something I can you know comment on personally uh, we might we just we purchased our we uh, we upgraded um, to a larger house which is kind of the other side of what we're actually going to be talking a lot about today with the home builders we're going to talk about but we upgraded in November to a larger house uh, mainly because I've you know I've worked for home for a number of years and we have a small child and we just needed a little more space. Uh, bought a house in Southern California. Um, our mortgage is a half a million dollars, which I know most parts of the country that's insanely large, um, but it's actually relatively small. It's a conforming loan, uh, and um, our mortgage rate at the time was three point seven five percent. We were ecstatic. That's a great, great rate. Um, we just funded a new loan uh, two days ago uh, at three percent, right? And I think that's about where interest rates are. The average thirty-year rate is what did you find, Nick? Three point one percent or so, somewhere on there right now. Yeah, roughly 3.1% today. Coming into the year, we were about 3.75%. So it's a really a significant downward move uh, in interest rates. Yeah, it's and it's it's hard to his, for historical context. You know, I can remember in the 80s um, when when my my parents uh, signed a 15 year mortgage for 12%. <laughs> so just just for context from the highs and the lows, um, this is insanely cheap and historically, you know, a six percent or seven percent interest rate on a 30 year loan was a was a reasonable rate. So rates are insanely historically low right now. So there's I mean, that's definitely a great tailwind, right, in terms of of 
of more people are going to consider housing because loans are cheaper than they've really they've ever been. Yeah, and so so as we're looking at at the market today, maybe we can swing into to some of the, the companies uh, um, we're going to talk about. Meritage is one of the first ones uh, um, that we wanted to discuss, and they've put out some numbers when it comes to what they're seeing um, as far as demand. Uh, uh, coming back um, in the middle of May, uh, towards the end of April. So, so what are we seeing from these companies when it when in, in terms of the, the the market starting to return back to some semblance of normal? Yeah. So, Meritage Homes. This is one that's um, um, I think um, can't remember if Tom or David picked it in Stock Advisor a number of years ago. I think it was Tom. Uh, so, it's a premium uh, pick. Uh, it's a company that I like a lot. Uh, they they focus just a kind of underlying business. They focus mainly on starter homes and entry-level housing. Um, but back in May, May 18th, they dropped the press release. And they tend to drop press releases on a pretty regular basis about where volumes are in home sales and closings. Uh, May 18th, <clears throat> they uh, dropped a, a release that said that uh, cancellations were you know, like uh, 20%. Um, which was not a, unexpected because with everything with COVID and people losing jobs, that kind of stuff. But the surprising thing was that uh, Steve Hilton, the founder and CEO, said uh, that sales momentum increased during the last two weeks of April. This increase in traffic and orders has carried over into May. So we expect this month's orders could be in line with last May. So it's been six weeks ago when he made these comments, but he essentially said in middle of May that the traffic that they were seeing in the beginning of May, indicated that their orders for May could be equivalent to May of 2019. That's incredible, right? That's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to, for, for the market to have returned so quickly, uh, you know, we look at Meritage's strategy focusing on the entry-level market. Do you think that might have positioned them to maybe recover more quickly relative to folks that, that might be towards the higher end of the market or, or positioned in a different segment for a different customer? Yeah, uh, you know, I think I think so. Just because that's the segment of the market where there's absolutely the most pent-up demand. As as somebody younger than I am, Nick, you can you can talk to this even better than me. But you know, you, <clears throat> if you go if you go back, something you and I talked about offline before the the call was you know you, you know, I was uh, active investor uh, during the last. Uh, recession and financial crisis and the 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 chatter for the first you know four or five years three or four or five years coming out of the global financial crisis and the great recession was that we had an entire generation that was not going to buy houses right that things had fundamentally changed and the millennials were not going to be home buyers you know they were going to live together and they were going to live in apartments and they were never going to get married and they weren't going to have kids and all of this stuff and 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 I mean there's you could google it and there's probably found a thousand headlines that say, you know, <clears throat> will millennials ever buy houses, right? And and they, they are, they're buying houses, they're getting married, they're having kids, they're doing all of the same things. It's 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 every other generation. It's just, you know, they get handed a pretty ugly uh, hand, uh, dealt a pretty ugly hand, and it's just it's taking them longer to get there. And fast forward to today, and you have a situation where there's massive pinup demand from <clears throat> millennials, and then the next generation uh, is going to, it's going to be the same thing. That are very interested in buying homes, right? They're very interested in houses, and you have just a lack of inventory. It's only been in the past few years that most that more home builders have started to transition to building more starter homes. Uh, Meritage is a great example. This is a company that five years ago, uh, the majority of the homes they were building were custom homes. They were move up homes. They were, you know, somebody would would come to one of their, they'd see their showcase, and they'd go in and they'd look at it, and then they'd sit down with a catalog and they'd pick out. You know the floor plan they wanted, and they'd pick out, you know, the appliances they wanted, and they would they would 
put down a deposit, and then they would have that custom home built to their specifications. Um, the, the, that was a decent business, right? But uh, Hilton and the, the rest of the, the management team realized that it was time to shift to where the market was going, and that was to, to starter homes. And <clears throat> about five years ago, the company started develop, uh, spending most of their land development. They started buying land that about 75% of it was going to be targeted at entry-level houses. So these are homes that um, that are f- more cost. They're more co- they're more affordable. They're smaller. Yeah, the more condos, that kind of thing that are part of this mix, more townhomes that are part of this mix. Uh, but the big thing is they're building a lot of more homes on spec. In other words, they're <clears throat> speculating there's going to be buyers and they're not showing, you know, they don't, they don't have a showcase where somebody comes in and they pre-order it and then they build it to, their, to how they want it. They build the house. It's done. It's ready. And then the people come and see it and they either they buy it or they don't. So there's a, there tends to be a potentially more risk there, right? Because you don't have a, a firm order in hand. Um, but the flip side is that even though these houses cost less, um, they're more profitable. Uh, the margins are better because a lot of the customization tends to uh, require more labor and can be more expensive. And you just have a little better utility of scale <clears throat> when you're building uh, starter homes uh, with limited number of floor plans. Um, and so margins are better, even though their average prices have come down, their, their gross margins have, have generally improved over the past few years as they've shifted more and more of their mix into this, this starter home market. Yeah, that entry-level part of the market, as I look at the data, just seems particularly attractive because, as you mentioned, uh, you, you look at millennials. I think the median age of, of millennials is around 31 or 32 right now. And if you look at the historical long-term median age of first-time home ownership, it's right around that same age. And when you're a person who, who is coming into their early to mid-30s, there's a structural time in your life where, where if you want to you know, have kids and raise them in a, in a, in a home with a yard and that sort of thing – you need to buy a house and make that decision, um, you know, sooner or later. And so we're entering this period, uh, just structurally within the demographics of, of this millennial generation, uh, where a lot of folks are going to have to make that decision. And I think you add in, uh, I can tell you personally, from being stuck in a one-bedroom apartment for the better part of the past three months working from home, you certainly get stir crazy. So when you've got this 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 demographic structural demand uh, that was already in place, being buoyed by People just being tired of being in their apartment, being being cramped inside, that sort of thing. I think it really adds some fuel uh, to this trend. Now, Jason, you mentioned building houses on spec, and, and to the extent that that introduces risk into the business model. I know lots of folks are, are very cognizant of risk and, and looking at the balance sheet uh, of companies in the context of what's going on in COVID. There's a lot of uncertainty of whether we're going to get a second wave or that sort of thing. When you look at Meritage's balance sheet. How do you see them positioned to withstand some potential disruptions and uncertainty coming forward? So I, I think this is something you have to be cognizant of with with <clears throat> with home builders. Uh, home builders typically, if you start getting into the valuations, you'll notice that they tend to trade for really low price to earnings multiples, um, and they can look super duper cheap as as a, as a group. Um, <clears throat> but that's because they there there is risk. I mean, in a way, there is a little bit of the the leverage risk. Um, that you see with um, with other businesses, because your typical home builder, what they do is they'll they'll own, you know, three or four or five years worth of land to develop, right? And they they have to buy the land, and that costs money. And typically, they don't want to tie up a ton of cash um, in that land, so they tend to take on loans, um, and they use a lot of debt to buy that land, and <clears throat> that results in pretty high leverage leverage ratios. The the risk. With with that model is when you have an economic downturn, um, 
And this one's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit weird, a little bit different, but your typical economic downturn, you, you, it takes, you know, multiple years for the <clears throat> economy to recover, for jobs to recover, and you have a prolonged period of time when housing sales is, is, is down. And we just don't, we don't know what this is going to look like, right, with, with COVID, but the risk is if there's a prolonged downturn in home buying that affects these, these companies, they're going to be sitting on this land that they can't develop uh, because they're, they're they're not selling their properties, right? But they still have to continue to service that debt. So so the downside is it can weigh on their earnings. If home sales fall enough, it can it can lead to large losses. It can force them to have to sell land at a loss simply to clear it off their books um, and and reduce expenses. So it can it can compound um, the pain in in downturns is is the biggest takeaway. So that's why you know with a company like Meritage. And uh, LGI Homes, ticker LGIH, that we'll talk about as well, you have to be cognizant of the fact that they do carry higher debt levels. So, for example, uh, Meritage Homes' debt to EBITDA uh, over the past year is 3.3 times. Uh, LGI Homes is about 2.7 times. And those are pretty high leverage ratios um, compared to uh, compared to other industries that, you, that you'll see. So, it's just good to be conscious of that. Absolutely. And so, and to a certain extent, because they're carrying these real assets and putting leverage against them at maybe less risk than if you saw a, a less um, um, capital, you know, heavy, heavy business uh, carrying debt. But, but certainly, if there's a prolonged downturn in the housing market, not positive um, for these companies. You mentioned LGI Homes, uh, L, ticker LGIH. How does that company and their positioning differ from what we've talked about with Meritage. So Meritage has been around for a, a little bit, a good bit longer. Um, LGI Homes is, is a newer company. It's smaller, uh, based in Texas. And uh, essentially, these are two companies that have really similar models. But LGI is even more kind of baked into um, the, the starter homes market, right? They're just, that's bigger. They're, they're, they're more in <clears throat> on, on starter homes than LGI, which is, or than Meritage, which is still... To a certain extent, transition through some of their their legacy developments, and they still have some custom um, proper homes that they're still going to continue to sell. LGI is more focused on starter properties. It's a smaller, again, it's smaller. So I think there's more potential upside for it to continue to expand. Um, they're just two that I kind of I view them similarly. It's kind of the big brother and the little brother in a way. Um, I, I really like I really like LGI a lot. Um, I think they've done a really good job to get into some really great growth markets uh, in Texas and the Southeast. Uh, whereas Meritage is still dealing a little bit with some of its legacy markets in Southern California that haven't necessarily been as as forgiving. Um, it's certainly not as easy to build starter homes um, <clears throat> in in some of some of those markets. So I think it's a little more nimble. Um, but but I I I like it and uh, and Meritage both. Yeah, and so when we look at LGIH, this is a company that really crushed it coming into the year. Yeah. So through the first five months of the year, even despite COVID, total home closings up uh, over twenty two percent. In the first couple months of the year, they had record closings. Uh, so, so when you look at this company, I mean, it seemed as though that they were really firing on all cylinders. Uh, until COVID, and they put out their May data, and they're they're getting pretty close uh, to where they were last year. So, uh, encouraging signs as far as performance for the company so far. Yeah, I, I think so. And again, so so long as you know, again this 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 jobs market that we're in right now, with you know with unemployment the way it is, 
it's just it's it's kind of bifurcated in that if you think about a lot of the people that have, have lost their jobs so far, it's you know service jobs, it's uh, retail jobs, people that may not necessarily have been in the home buying market to begin with. Um, you know we can talk about in, you know economic inequality at another time, um, but I, but I think the reality is that you think about so many other people, uh, young people that are working, they're still they're still working right, they're just working remotely, that that are still that are still working, right? And, and I just, I don't, I think what we saw to start is just the impact of COVID, right? The lockdown, the the, the social distancing guidelines that, that caused so many people just to stop even looking for homes. That, that they, they couldn't, right? They couldn't go see a home, right? And it was, <laughs> it was against the law. Um, so I mean, I'm really interested to see over the next, you know, 60 days, 90 days, once we get more data, how much to Steve Hilton's point, how much, does traffic pick back up? Do people continue to do like I know the, the, they've they've been able to do a really good job of quickly you know shifting to virtual viewings um, to to try to you know meet the moment right. Um, so I'm just I'm really interested to see how much the unemployment really affects home buying right. How, is it hitting home buyers or not? And, I, and it, my my gut reaction is it's probably hitting it less than your typical recession does because there's nothing typical about about the way that the unemployment has has, has happened so far. Yeah, well, it's still a lot of uncertainty in the market. We shall see. Uh, lastly, on LGI Homes, when you look at the balance sheet there, you mentioned earlier a little bit low, lower debt to EBITDA ratio uh, relative to Meritage. Anything else we should call out there on the balance sheet and their just ability to withstand uh, a prolonged downturn if one were to arise? Yeah, I mean, I think the re- the, the reality with 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 these these companies is, um, you know, they just. They tend to they tend to kind of walk a finer line. You look at LGI Homes. I think it has, I think it ended last quarter with like 120 million dollars in, in in cash um, in short term investments. You know, Meritage has like 800 million dollars. And another one we're going to talk about here in a minute. NVR Homes. Um, the ticker is N is in Nancy. V R um, has over a billion dollars in cash. Right. So um, there, there's. Again, it's the it's the ability to ride out a prolonged downturn is is certainly um, you know, Meritage and NVR are in far better shape there. Um, LGI is kind of riding a little bit of a finer line, um, but I think it has access to capital. Um, it's just it doesn't have a lot of cash um, on hand right now. Okay, and so moving on to NVR, uh, like you mentioned, this will be the last uh, company that we discussed here, and they have a different approach. Uh, to land acquisition that, that changes the risk profile somewhat relative to these other guys. Yeah, it really does. Um, and again, it, it shows up if you, if you start looking on, you know, you look at the bottom line, you look at that debt to EBITDA of you know, 0.6 times and a debt to equity of 0.063. Um, uh, NVR Home, which operates, uh, they're ma- mostly on the kind of the mid-Atlantic area. They're uh, based, uh, they're headquartered in Virginia. So they're up in the New Jersey, New York, and Virginia, and Charlotte, and kind of that area. Um, Ryan Homes is is um, one of their one of their big <clears throat> their big brands, um, but they 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 tend to buy a lot less land, uh, and their strategy for for many years has been to use options uh, to acquire land. So you know they pay a premium to the landowner to to hold an option to buy the land after a year or two years. Um, and that, the, the benefit is that that gives them the ability to walk away from a piece of property. And sure, it's going to cost them that premium that they've paid, um, uh, but, but they the, can avoid being you know, 
leveraged to the hilt at the worst time to be um, rich in land and poor in cash. So, so that model I really, really like a lot, and I think it provides a lot of ballast uh, for an industry that, sure, the, the if you think about, you know, the the demographic tailwinds are are phenomenal for housing over the next ten or fifteen years. They're tremendous, um, but this is still going to be a cyclical industry, right? There are going to be ups and downs. Interest rates are going to affect it. Um, you know, short term economic headwinds are going to are going to pop up, and and the companies that have the ability to ride out those downturns um, are the ones that can generate the best meaningful long term returns. And the companies that are the most leveraged, even in a great growth industry. Um, you know, you can get from beginning to end and not generate a lot of meaningful return for investors just because you blow through a ton of capital every time things get a little bit shaky. So I think NVR is far, far safer, far less risky from from that sort of thing. Another thing I also like about NVR is the company has has had a pretty steady, um, a pretty conservative, aggressive yet well well run um, share uh, repurchase program. They've over the past five years they've repurchased about ten percent of shares outstanding, and that's returning a lot of value to, to, to back to shareholders who've remained long term investors. Um, the one thing with with NVR is you look at the stock and it's 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 in the, it's in the one comma club, right? It's a it's a three thousand it's almost thirty two hundred dollars a share at recent prices, um, which which can can be pretty scary. Uh, I own one and a half shares, <laughs> so I've I, uh, my brokerage allows me through the app to buy fractional shares, um, and I think that's that's a great a great thing. And I think investors who aren't necessarily looking to throw three thousand plus as a starting point at a single investment should look at a fractional share of uh, of of NVR. Jason, what do we know about NVR's performance so far this year following COVID? It seems they've been a little bit more tight-lipped about uh, their status relative to these other folks. They have. While um, Meritage dropped that release in 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 late May, or uh, mid kind of mid mid late May, um, and uh, and LGI Homes dropped that release on June third, we have we haven't heard anything from NVR. There's no uh, the their last. They're, the last thing that they reported was on April 30th, uh, announced uh, $600 million in senior notes um, at uh, 3% interest rate. Hey, there's that 3% number, right? Uh, and that's, that's a, a 10-year, it's a 10-year note that they, that they acquired, so they access some more cash um, at, at cheap costs. But they haven't, there's no SEC filings or anything that's updated on their sales results. Um, and the interesting thing that uh, is kind of in that May, mid-May period, period there was a there was a kind of a a, a breakout from the, from the three stocks, right? If we look at um, when was it? I think you were looking at it earlier. Yeah, so it's right about the beginning of May. You see a period where this group of three companies, LGI, NVR, and Miratage, had had for the most part uh, throughout the year traded together as a group. And you see about the beginning of May, a period yeah, where- May 1st. Uh, May 1st. Yeah. LGI and Meritage are up uh, 43 and 37% respectively. And NVR is up about 5%, which I mean, 5% in you know, you know, a month and a half is not too bad, but a huge, huge separation between them. And I really do think it just, it boils down to, and this is total speculation, um, but we've seen a ton of, of new retail investors jump into- Jump into stocks um, over the past couple of months. I mean, that's that's kind of been a big headline that we've seen is the numbers that have been re- reported by E Trade and Robinhood and all these 
companies for, for especially young people jumping in and opening up brokerage accounts. I, mean, I just can't help but wonder that you've got, you know, a, you know, two stocks that trade for, you know, less than $90 a share and a stock that trades for $3,200 a share. And I can't help but wonder if, if that doesn't explain some of the separation in the price uh, uh, acceleration between them. But also, I think it's just a reality that NVR hasn't said anything, right? The market has nothing to really, to really, to, to navigate on. Um, and in NVR and LGI, both, they do a lot of the same things and they've both said relatively positive things. Right, absolutely. So, so does it not, it doesn't concern you that, that we haven't heard the, no. any updates from NVR on their status? To the, to the contrary, I think if there's anything that it, that it does for me is that if I were, if I were looking to, to put new money uh, into a home builder today, today, I think I would be more interested in looking at NVR uh, <clears throat> than the other two, simply because the other two have, I mean, they've, if you go back, if you look at year to date, right, so just kind of normalizing back to kind of the pre-COVID world, LGI Homes is up 21% since January 1st. Meritage Homes is up 17% since January 1st. And we know they're going to sell a hell of a lot less homes in the second and third quarters of this year than they did last year. It's just, it's it's almost a given, right? I mean, I think by the end of the year, maybe things will normalize, but we don't know for sure that they're going to normalize because we just don't know with COVID, right? I mean, I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get bogged down in too much in this conversation, but if you just look at the science and you look at the data, COVID's a bigger risk right now than it was, you know, three or four months ago. Um, and I think that's easy to overlook, right? Because more of the economy has opened up. Um, but but I think that there's potential implications that the market is not pricing into those two that is priced a ton of optimism that that may not necessarily prove out to be true in the short term. Um, and I think that to the to the contrary, I think NVR just because the stock price is such a big number, um, it, it's 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 the better value point at this point, right? And over the long term, I would I would not hesitate to buy all three today at these prices if I were going to hold for a decade, which I, I intend to do. But I think if I was just going to buy one of the three today, it would certainly be NVR because it trades at a much better value point. Okay, Jason, kind of last question going away. We, we've we told a, a story here about this growth in demand um, um, for, for entry-level homes and really an undersupply that creates a, a scenario where it looks like uh, these businesses can thrive. Obviously, COVID uh, is an issue in the near term that, that we're not sure uh, how it will play out. But, but you know, discounting that, assuming we return, return uh, back to some semblance of normal, you know, what could happen to where this, this thesis may not play out? So... I, I think the thesis is going to play out. It's just whether the individual companies, you know, participate in it is the big question. So you have to realize that home builders spent the better part of eight years not building entry level housing, right? Coming out of the global financial crisis, home builders had just about ceased operations. I mean, we were at, at a point we spent four or five years where the, the home builders were building at a rate that was below replacement level, right? I mean, the actual supply of housing fell, you know, uh, over for the last couple of years. That housing supply fell because you started looking at the number of houses that were being destroyed, vacant properties, and things that were just being just being leveled. I mean, we actually went for a time where where the housing supply shrank um, modestly. So we're still. F- trying to catch up to that. You just look at housing prices. You read everything. Affordable housing is, I mean, that's a generational priority, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's enormous. So for me, I don't think it's whether or not that thesis is going to play out because there's no doubt that over the next decade, over the next 15 years, a tremendous amount of affordable entry-level 
um, housing is going to be built and going to be purchased in, in the United States. What it boils down to is whether the management teams for these companies can, can be disciplined enough and avoid the catastrophe that comes along with having too much leverage at the wrong time that can devastate shareholders because the company has to take drastic steps just to stay afloat. All right, Jason, thanks as always for, for joining us on the show and sharing all your expertise on housing and every other area of the market that you like to follow. I have good news for you, Nick. Uh, Southeastern Conference football players are on campus and they are practicing. Hey, hey, with, on, that, on that note, we've got positive news, everybody, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to, thanks to Austin Morgan for making it sound so nice. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.